0: here at Southern Hills, in case you didn't know that. Welcome to what we're calling Ascend Sunday. We're continuing in our sermon series, which is Jesus, People, and the title for the sermon is Staying Alive. Staying Alive. How many you enjoyed the student worship team that was up here? Can we just say thank you to them one more time? I love watching students worship, and uh, we had Alex, and then uh, Hannah, who's one of our leaders, um, and then Ben, and then Gabby, and then um, Johnny, and Isaac on the back there, and so man, I love watching our students worship, and boy, every Sunday night... Um, this is what I get. I get to come here Sunday nights, and it's our student ministry. We call it The Ascent, and we show up in this room, and uh, we move the chairs in the back half, and uh, we move some chairs in the front, and students kind of crowd around here as we do our worship, and then we teach the Word of God, uh, and man, I love it. I love being a part, and so it's a special Sunday today. Our pastor's out with his family on vacation, and then we are leaving for summer camp in like two hours. We're loading up on a bus and heading up to Mesquite, Nevada, to the Rising Star Sports Ranch, and that's where we're going to have summer camp tonight. So tonight, there'll be about 450 students from seven churches across the valley that are gathering up there. And I'm asking our church family, I get to see you more than maybe our students do, I'm asking you, how many of you will pray for our students this week as they're at summer camp, even if you just pray right now? Now, thank you so much. That means the world. And I'm telling you, um, uh, in uh, all my years, I've been serving in student ministry for 12 years now. Um, I'm the old guy in the room, you know what I mean? And um, you probably find that funny, but I'm telling you, in student ministry, I'm the old guy. Um, I'm telling you right now, one of the biggest blessings that I get to watch is when a student ministry shows up on Sunday morning and gets to watch the um, Sunday morning church participate in worship, and teach them how to worship and serve God. And it's really cool when they get to see that, and then for you guys to get get to see the reverse of that. They are, they were able to be here and lead uh, worship this morning, and so I love, love, love serving, and I believe it's a biblical call to have an intergenerational, a multi-generational church, amen, um, where we're passing on the faith to the next generation. And so I'm so thankful. I don't take it for granted. Um, the the trust that you guys place in us to be able to go to summer camp, and uh, then to be also to be able to continue to give and support the student ministry. So um, I've got a couple goals this morning. One is um, to let you know kind of what we're doing in student ministry. Of course, we're going to summer camp to ask for your prayers and to ask you to continue to support by being faithful to church and uh, faithful to give. And my second goal is, pastor's gone, he's on vacation, so I want to get you out of here early. Amen? Amen. Like, I've been in student ministry for 12 years. I know how to keep students, right? And you keep them happy by teaching God's word faithfully, but then you let them out early, right? And they're like, man, I like that guy, you know? So uh, that that's kind of my goal here this morning. I don't think there's anything wrong with that. Um, God teaches us to be good stewards of his time. Amen. So that's our goal. Luke 17. Luke 17 is where we're at this morning. Luke 17, and we're continuing in our verse-by-verse study of God's Word. We've themed it. We've called it Jesus People. And we're going to ask this question this morning. How do Jesus People stay alive? What are the lifelines for Jesus People according to the ministry and teachings of Jesus? Luke 17, verse 11 is where we're at. And the Bible says, Now it happened as he went to Jerusalem, that's Jesus, that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Then as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers, who stood afar off. And they lifted up their voices and said, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And so it was as they went that they were cleansed. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his feet, fell down on his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not ten cleansed? But where are the nine? Were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. Can't you just see it? Like a scene out of The Chosen. Here there's ten lepers standing afar off, and Jesus is walking along with his disciples. And as they see him, the, the proper um, uh, method that they would see strangers and people approach them is they would have to call out and say, unclean, unclean. But this time they see Jesus, and we don't know how they knew him. We don't know where they'd heard about his fame. The Bible says that his fame had spread throughout the country, but they see Jesus and they think, this is my shot. This is our opportunity to try and get healed. So Jesus is walking by and instead of them putting more distance between them, they call out and they say, Jesus, son of God, have mercy on us. And then Jesus says, go, show yourselves to the priest. So now these 10 lepers who were outcast, who were outside of society, turn around and again, the thematic music is in the background. They walk back into the village that they had been cast out from. And as they walk back, the music picks up and it sounds like a familiar tune. And then one of them starts to sing, well, you can tell by the way I can hardly walk. I'm a leprous man, no time to talk. I was kicked out, but Jesus spoke and now I'm back among the normal folk. Now it's all right, it's okay, you may look the other way. Whether you're a brother or whether you're a mother, you're... Staying alive, staying alive, come on You're going to say, what did Pastor Caleb teach on? We don't know, but we sang the song together You know what I mean? Like, something about staying alive, in it, right? This morning, we're going to unpack this truth. It's true. These 10 lepers who were headed for death, who were outcast from society, found three lifelines to help them stay alive. And we're going to ask ourselves this question as believers, as Bible uh, teachers, as Bible students this morning, as seekers of truth, we're going to ask this question, what are the three lifelines that Jesus' people use to stay alive? The first lifeline that I see in this story is Mercy. Mercy. Mercy is where God values the least. Look at Luke 17, 11. Now, it happened as he went to Jerusalem that he passed through the midst of Samaria and Galilee. Luke, as he's writing this story, remembers the location that this story took place. And he says it was kind of in... No man's land. If you put yourself in context and do a little study on what was this location, it would have been known as the borderlands or no man's no, no man's land between Samaria and Galilee. And it says as he entered a certain village, there met him ten men who were lepers who stood afar off. First, we see the people who need mercy. First, we see their situation. They were in the borderlands. They were outside of community, this miracle as Jesus leans into these people show us that these people had been separated from any sort of inclusion or sense of belonging. They had been outcasts from their own, ca- own family, outcasts from society. They had been told that they had to live on the outskirts. Matter of fact, for most of them, as they were told to live outside the city, because there was no known cure for uh, leprosy, for this uh, communicable disease, as they were told to live outside the city, many of them uh, wouldn't have anyone who cared for them or uh, anyone who even remembered them as they lived outside the city. Most of their sustenance, if you could call it that, they found in the trash heaps, the garbage piles outside the city, outside the gates where people would come and throw their trash. That's how they would feed themselves. We see their situation was dire. This disease that not only left them outside the city also oftentimes would leave a person disfigured. Not only were they emotionally and and relationally in community cast out from society, but now they were separated by even the way they looked. They feel like they're on the outside looking in. Jewish law stated they couldn't re-enter society until they first went to the priest to be checked before receiving a certificate that they were now clean. But even in their situation, even with their desperation, they made a calculation to call on Jesus and that he would give them mercy. I can't help but look at this passage this morning, and as I share it with a group of believers, I want you to think about the time that you called on Jesus and found mercy in his eyes. Amen? When you were outcast, when you were uh, left out, when you felt as if there was no way for you to come back in, you called on Jesus and found mercy in his eyes. I don't know where you're at this morning. Maybe you feel like you have a lack of community. I don't know if you feel like you have this... Uh, um, uh, identity crisis where you feel like, man, every, every room that I walk into, people know how I failed. People know how I've let God down. People know how uh, my uh, marriage didn't make it. People know how I'm the one who walked away and now I'm back. And so I have to hang my head and friend. I'm here to tell you that with Jesus, his mercy is available for all. Jesus didn't pass by any other side. Jesus didn't say, you know what? I'll come back when I'm done healing. the. No, he made his mercy available for all. Lamentations 3.22 says this, through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Isn't it awesome as believers, as Christ followers, that we can come under the mercy of God this morning? Friend, I don't know what lie the enemy has told you to make you feel like you're less than or like you should be outcast. Maybe you grew up in a very traditional religious setting and now your life looks a little bit less traditional. And maybe you're here this morning and you're like, I don't know how to qualify or quantify this All I can do is cast myself on the mercy of Jesus. I'm here to tell you, friend, his mercy for you is new this morning, fresh and ready to be lavished upon your life. Maybe you're in here this morning and you have an addiction or you have a habit and you're like, I've tried to break it. I've tried to walk away from it. I feel like this is just who I am. And I'm here to tell you that in the same way, Jesus healed the leprosy that was uncurable in that day. Jesus can give you the strength and the power to walk away from whatever it is you feel like you can't walk away from. Whatever it is, that you have. Just this morning, as I uh, got up, I, I've noticed that, I mentioned earlier, I've served in youth ministry for, for 12 years now. And so I'll be, I'll be 35 this summer, I'm, I'm turning old, right? All the students are like, Pastor Caleb, you're old. And what I found is the, the more mature and wise I get, amen? The more mature and wise I get, the earlier I get up in the morning. You know what I mean? Like I've got a two-year-old and a four-year-old, I just, I don't sleep in anymore. So I usually wake up about five or 5.30, So I got up this morning about five o'clock and went out and and made my coffee and went and sat in the front room. And I was looking over the, the sermon for this morning. And as I did, I was thinking about the truths that I wanted to teach and the truths I wanted to communicate. And the Holy Spirit of God whispered to me as I was trying to look over the, and prepare for the sermon this morning, wait a minute, before you share mercy with anyone else, aren't you gonna receive mercy? from Jesus. And I started thinking about how I think Christians, a lot of times what we do is we think, oh, I'm so thankful I received mercy from God when I got saved. But no, Lamentation says the mercies of God are new every morning. Look at what Titus 3 says. But when the kindness and the love of God, our savior toward men appeared, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us through the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us abundantly through Jesus Christ, our savior, that having been justified by his grace we should become heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Friend, I don't know where you're at this morning, but can I tell you, the mercy of God is available for you. In his book, The bruised Reed, Richard Sibbs famously wrote, we have this for a foundation of truth, that there is more mercy in Christ than there is sin in us. Amen. Aren't you thankful to have access, to have been an outcast, but now you're in for, with and, and receiving of the mercy of Jesus. Please don't let the enemy tell you that you're outside of God's mercy because in this story, as the 10 lepers were outside of community, mercy in the form of Jesus Christ himself came walking to them and they received it. I was thinking this morning of, of uh, something that happened in our student ministry not long ago, just a couple of weeks ago. As a matter of fact, I was thinking about the goodness of God and, and the mercy of Jesus and how we can receive it. And I moved here five years ago. Matter of fact, last Sunday, church family, you're so generous. Thank you so much for loving on me and my wife. But last Sunday, we celebrated five years here in Las Vegas, five years at Southern Hills. We moved here in May of 2018, Me, uh, my family and I. And it was just me and my wife. My wife was pregnant with our son, who's four and a half now, Gatlin. And when we moved here, I remember moving here in the middle of middle of May and um, or beginning of May, and it was already a hundred degrees. By the way, y'all know it's not been a hundred degrees yet this year. Knock, knock on wood or something, you know what I mean? Like there is a God, you know, and he loves us. And uh, it's, it's been nice. It's supposed to be nice this week. And we moved here, it was a hundred degrees. I remember moving here and, and I, remember, <laughs> I didn't tell this in the first service, but y'all the 10 o'clock people, y'all can take this, okay? I, I remember moving here and I remember unloading my truck. The first day we moved here, I moved in, we stayed for a couple weeks with, with our in-laws as we found a place. I remember moving here and the neighbor was out and the neighbor was, um, we'll just say, smoking some of the good stuff. And I walked up, and I remember it was so hot and dry. I was like, downing bottles of water, and then that smell came over me. And, and I don't partake. And so I was like, where have I moved to? <laughs> you know what I mean? Like what happened? like 115 degrees. I'm like, what happened? And we moved here, and I started getting in the flow of, of ministry. And I remember I, I typed up an email when we first moved here and sent it out to all the families. And I said, hey. I'm the new youth pastor and I sent a picture of me and my wife and my name is Caleb, this is Ruthie and we wanna serve you in any way we possibly can. And I remember, I think most people were like, yeah, okay, you know, like welcome and, and the church was kind and, and welcomed us and did all that. But I remember someone replied to that email and I remember the reply because I saved the email. And the reply was from Linda Scott. And she wrote this. She said, welcome, Pastor Caleb and Ruthie. May you settle soon and begin to feel at home in our city as you begin your next chapter here at Southern Hills. And then she began to tell me some of her story. And I asked Miss Linda this morning. She was right back here for our 830 service. And she said, absolutely. I want you to share that with our church family. And she said how when we, if you don't know the story of Southern Hills, we started in a, in a storefront location and then we moved, this is our first building that we've built and we're actually growing out of this building. If you came in and struggled to find a seat, you're aware of that. We're building a new building out here. And um, when they moved, they moved upstairs, the student ministry moved upstairs to a room and because of the location and because of some of the changes, Ms. Linda writes that her grandson Struggled to adapt. And she says, Even Nana becomes overwhelmed at times with our growth. You see, Pastor Caleb, my grandson, is autistic. And now that he's a teen, it's even more difficult for him to feel a good fit, but we continue to try harder. We go every Sunday morning, and he loves that because he loves Pastor Josh and his sermons. She writes a little more, and then down later she says, Please understand, I'm not criticizing anyone, but God just leads me to educate others should a door open and you open that door. (laughs) I love Miss Linda. She said, you see, I never understood disabilities or autism until my daughter passed away. Her grandson is Hunter. Hunter's mom passed away. And I adopted him and became his caregiver. I've learned so much in the past several years after losing my husband too. It is by God's grace and mercy that those who love and accept us at Southern Hills uh, and God has carried us this far. Then she writes at the very end of the email, who knows what the Lord has planned, but he sent you and I sure am thankful and believe that you will make a great addition and difference as the new youth pastor. And I thank you for taking time to listen. God's blessing to both you and your family, respectfully, Linda Scott. And I remember getting that email and I remember thinking and probably feeling the way you feel right now, feeling burdened. And I remember thinking, Lord, I don't know what you're gonna do or how you're gonna do it. And I can't forecast the future, but God, if there is a way, will you give me enough of your mercy? Will you share enough mercy that I can share that with someone else? And two weeks ago, matter of fact, I think we have a picture two weeks ago, Hunter Waddy love graduated from high school. And Hunter That's Hunter right there and you can see he's, he's not a small guy. Hunter gives the best hugs. Hunter will walk up to you and we call him Hunter Bear Hugs. And he'll walk up to you and give you a big hug. And throughout the years, Hunter began to become more a part of our group and attend student ministry on Sunday night. And he even went to a couple winter retreats and even a, a summer camp with us. And as he began to be more involved, I, I watched as God's story of mercy and grace began to unfold in Hunter's life. And when Hunter graduated, we do a grad night for all our seniors. And we had um, uh, 10 students stand up here on a Sunday night. And Hunter was one of them. And we invited, I I always give them a gift. And then I say, Would you like to share a testimony with the group? And now you've got to know about Hunter. And if you know and love anyone in your life that's on the spectrum or has autism, you know that sometimes you never know what they're going to say. And so I said, Hunter, I love you. And I gave him a big old hug. And he, you know, kind of hugged me, you know. (laughs) And I said, Hunter, would you like to share a testimony? And Hunter came up and Hunter usually likes to tell jokes and have a good time. And so I said, Lord, please help him. <laughs> you know. And Hunter came up and on a Sunday night and he leaned in and Hunter wasn't joking, Hunter was very serious. And Hunter leaned in and Hunter said, well, I'm graduating high school, which if any of you know, school has been very, very hard for me. I've always been the weird kid, but on Sunday nights, I get to show up and I get welcomed and loved for who I am. And Hunter, I'm telling you, all, there was a holy hush over all the students and Hunter's standing there just as genuine and as humble as honest as can be. And I'm, I'm the professional youth pastor that's done this for 12 years. And I walk up and I'm like, Hunter, we love you, man. And I'm telling you, in that moment, the mercy of Jesus just fell upon our group. And I'm here to tell you, watch this. It wasn't just me. Every time Hunter would show up, Hunter would, would walk up to one of his best friends, Junior Burgess, Jeremy Burgess. And Jeremy would walk up and give him a you know, skin or whatever and do their little secret handshake. And he'd just love on Hunter, make him feel welcome. And when Hunter came to summer camp with us, Hunter came up and he was a little bit overwhelmed. And he's like, Pastor Caleb, you need to take me home to my grandma right now. And I thought, I'm gonna have to drive four and a half hours and take you home to your grandma right now from summer camp. And guess who walked in the room? Jeremy Burgess, Junior Burgess. And Junior said, Hunter, it's okay, man. We can do this. We can get through this together. And Junior showed the mercy of God in Hunter's life in just an incredible way. When I showed up at his graduation two weeks ago, I was running a little bit late and I was like, hey, Miss Linda, I'm on my way. I'm I'm gonna be there, you know, save me a seed. And when I got there, there's Miss Linda and they're sitting with our faithful church members, Gary and Melanie Graves loving on Miss Linda before I even ever got there. Church family, I'm here to tell you the mercy of God and the mercy of Jesus is available for everyone. But listen to me, it's available for everyone when we as a community decide to share it. It's available for everyone when we as a community say, I'm gonna be a representation for the mercy of Jesus. And boy, I stood there on that stage with Hunter. And I remember, if you ever think that serving in ministry uh, doesn't have its moments where you're like, "I I hope what I'm doing is making a difference. I remember standing on the stage with Hunter and just the mercy of Jesus washing over me afresh and anew and thinking, man, Jesus, thank you so much for letting me play a small part in Hunter's life. And here's the reality. Hunter, it wasn't just that Hunter needed us. It was that we needed Hunter. Hunter taught us the mercy of God in a fresh and a new way. And as Jesus' people, we believe in mercy. We need it. We receive it and then we freely give it to others. The mercy of God is a creed by which we live, but it's not just the mercy. Not only do we believe in mercy, we also live by faith. As we read the story in Luke 17, the mercy of Jesus becomes so evident in the lives of these lepers. But then look at Luke 17, 14. So when he saw them, he said to them, go show yourselves to the priests. And it was so as they went that they were cleansed. Romans 1:17 says, for in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. As it is written, the just shall live by faith. Here's the great truth of scripture. Here's the great enigma. Here's the great paradox of our faith. Watch this. When we are given faith, it is not to reside calmly and passively in our life. When we are given faith to trusting God, that faith calls us forward to action. When Jesus wanted to heal the lepers, he could have said, you're clean, you're done. Instead, he says, go show yourselves to the priest. Hebrews 11:6 says this, but without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God, God must believe that He is, and that is, that, and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently seek Him. The faith that. God gives to us is a faith that God calls us to action with. James 2, 14 says it this way. What does it profit, my brethren? If someone says he has faith, but does not have works, can faith save him? If a brother or sister is naked and destitute of daily food, and one of you says to them, depart in peace, be warmed and filled, but you do not give them the things which are needed for the body, what does it profit? Thus also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. But someone will say, you have faith and I have works, Show me your faith without your works and I will show you my faith by my works. What is this paradox? What is this call of Christ in our life about this faith? Unfortunately, religions have wrongly identified it this way. It's a formula of faith. And the formula is not that faith plus works equals salvation. As you read this passage, as you study this story, Jesus is not saying that if you have faith and you have works, then you receive healing. He's not saying that. James is not saying that if you have faith and you attend church regularly, if you have faith and you read your Bible every day, if you have faith and you pray, then you'll be saved. That's not what he's saying. This is the wrong formula. What he is saying is that faith saves. Romans, the just shall live by faith. Action, call to action, the just shall live by faith. He's saying that faith saves. And he's also saying that the faith that saves also works. The formula in James, the formula in scripture is that if you have the faith that saves, that faith does not lie dormant in your in your life. That faith calls you to action. That faith that saves is also a faith that works and calls you forward. Let me give you an illustration. It's a Ascent Sunday, so I have student stories for you. Uh, when we first moved here, we went to summer camp and had an incredible time at summer camp. And then uh, my family had just purchased our first home here in Las Vegas. And so I came back on Friday. On Saturday, our pod showed up at our new home. I unloaded the entire pod. Um, the pod got taken away. I came to church on Sunday. And then on Monday, I left for junior camp. It's fun, I'm telling you. There's, there's no life like it. So junior camp was like fourth and, and fifth graders and all these students that are that are going. And again, I'm new to the desert. I'm new to the heat. So where do we go to junior camp? Ironwood Christian Camp, which is in Newberry Springs, California. It's not far from a place called Death Valley. You know what I mean? Like we believe in spiritual life, but we're gonna take you to Death Valley to find it. You know, so um, we go there and we show up and it's like 115 degrees and we get there and I'm like, yeah, this is amazing. All right, kids, go have fun. I'm gonna go take a nap, (laughs) you know? And uh, I remember I got there and I'm like, man, what is going on? I'm ministering to these kids because when I first moved here, I was student pastor and kids pastor for a little bit before we hired. (laughs) Pastor Andrew and his wife, Carrie, I'm so thankful for the Olsons. amen. Okay, so um, I was doing all these things and we showed up the first night and, and I'm, I'm trying to engage and minister to the students. And as we're doing that, they, they taught the gospel story, they taught salvation. And then they said, if anybody wants to be prayed with and talk more about this, raise your hand. And sure enough, one of our students, his name is Johnny, raised his hand. And I'm like, let's go. It's all worth it. 115 degrees, God, it's for you, okay? I'm sweating for Jesus, you know? And um, I'm going over and I'm like, it's okay. This is gonna be awesome. And so I go over to Johnny and I'm like, Johnny, you wanna pray tonight? And he's like, yeah, I would love to pray. I'm like, Johnny, what do you wanna pray about? Because you're not supposed to, you know, give them like, you wanna get saved, right? (laughs) I'm like, Johnny, what do you wanna pray about? And he's like, I wanna pray about my family. And I'm like, oh, okay, that's sweet. Not really what I was looking for, but sure, let's pray for your family. And so I'm like, Dear Jesus, help Johnny's family and we love them. And the Hardens are real faithful and, and they come here. And so I said, just, just help him. I think it was his, his sister and his cousin and something like that, we prayed for him. Okay, next day goes by, comes to the night service. They teach the gospel. They say, if anybody wants to be prayed with, raise your hand. Johnny, raises his hand. I'm like, all right, here we go. Go over to Johnny. Johnny, you wanna to pray tonight, right? And he's like, yeah, I wanna pray. Johnny, what do you wanna pray about? Jesus and salvation, right? And he's like, no, I wanna pray for my family. I'm like, okay, I'll pray for your family. And so I take Johnny and I go pray for his family. Third night, Johnny raises his hand. I'm like, man, this is, all right, maybe, maybe. I go over to him like, Johnny, you wanna pray tonight? And he's like, yeah. What do you wanna pray about, Johnny? I wanna pray for my family. Okay, Johnny, we'll pray for your family. So I pray for his family. Fourth night comes along, Johnny raises his hand. I'm like, we're gonna pray for his family tonight. And so I go over and I'm like, I'm like, Johnny, what do you wanna pray about? Uh, No, no, I went up up to him and I said, hey, Johnny, I said, do you wanna pray for your family tonight? And he looks at me with a bewildered look on his face and he goes, no, I wanna get saved. (laughs) And I was like, Well, yeah, we can do that too. You know what I mean? Like, I'm like, okay. And so Johnny, who was like, yay tall at the time. Johnny was up here on the worship team. Johnny Harden like six, three now. And Johnny's saved and serving in our student ministry. Here's what I love about it. Watch this. I see it over and over and over again in students' lives. When the faith of God, when the seed of faith is planted in their life and it begins to blossom, what happens is it calls our students forward to action. Here's a great question for us. If the faith of God planted in the lives of students, Students, calls them forward to action. Shouldn't do the same thing with mom and dad. Shouldn't do the same thing on Sunday morning with our adults. Shouldn't do the same thing with grandma and grandpa. The faith of God is not to just uh, lie dormant in our lives, but it calls us to action. This is what Jesus does with the lepers. He says, go show yourselves to the priest. This is the illustration. Second Corinthians 5, 7 says, for we walk by faith, not by sight galatians 5 says but the holy spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control so if god has planted the faith of salvation in our life here's a good question for you what is growing in the garden of your heart what is growing in the garden of your soul What is growing in the garden of your home? Is it love and joy and peace and patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control? We see that as Jesus' people, we are called to live by faith and faith requires action. But not only do we believe in mercy and not only do we live by faith as Jesus called the lepers to go show themselves to the priests, Luke here adds an ending to the story. Now, this story in totality is not recorded in any other gospel. Luke is the only one that records this story and he's very specific about a few things. He's very specific about the mercy that Jesus lavishes upon the lepers. He's very specific about the call to faith, go show yourselves to the priest. But then he's also very specific about the third truth that we practice, the third lifeline by which we stay alive. And it's this one, number three, gratitude. God invites us, into the healing process. God invites us into healing. Look at the story, Luke 17, 15. And one of them, when he saw that he was healed, returned and with a loud voice glorified God and fell down on his face at his feet, giving him thanks. And he was a Samaritan. So Jesus answered and said, were there not 10 cleansed? But where are the nine? Where, were there not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. The Samaritan's thankfulness for his physical healing shows evidence of a deeper spiritual healing, which is proof of his salvation. Now, it's interesting to me that Jesus himself draws a sharp contrast between the one who is thankful and the other nine who are not. And as I was studying for this, I I wanted to make sure that I'm applying it in the truest context of what Jesus is saying he is not saying that the other nine were not cleansed. He's saying, were there not 10 that were healed? So all 10 received the mercy of Jesus. All 10 acted in faith, but only one entered into the healing process of gratitude. And as I read this story, instead of me saying, oh, well, I'm a part of the one, I try to be thankful regularly and giving myself a hall pass. What if instead we looked at these 10 as the 10 daily opportunities we have to be thankful to God. And the ratio in this story is that 90% of the time, we miss the on-ramp of gratitude. 90% of the time, we miss the opportunity to be thankful for what God has done and what God is doing in gratitude. Perhaps in this illustration, it's less about, am I a part of the nine who were ungrateful? or the one who was and more about of the 10 times I receive mercy from God each day, am I only likely to take advantage of gratitude once? Maybe the ratio of nine to one isn't about others, but about my inability to find gratitude 90% of the time. In approaching the story this way, all of us are invited to a deeper commitment to the work of gratitude. Instead of looking around the room and thinking, I think I'm part of the 10%. We turn the camera, we turn the focus inwardly and say, man, there's room for improvement in my life. There are opportunities where I miss the on-ramp of gratitude. And it seems that scripture reinforces this discipline as being part of my sanctification process. Ephesians 5.20 says, giving thanks always for all things to God the Father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. 1 Thessalonians 5.16 says, rejoice always, pray without ceasing, in everything give thanks for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. It's interesting that most Christians everywhere would know and be familiar with the spiritual disciplines of Bible reading and prayer but few Christians practice the spiritual discipline of gratitude and thankfulness. Psalm 101 says, a Psalm of thanksgiving, make a joyful shout to the Lord, all you lands, serve the Lord with gladness, come before his presence with singing, know that the Lord, he is God. It is he who has made us, and not we ourselves. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name for the Lord is good. His mercy is everlasting and his truth endures to all generations. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 says, be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God. Psalm 116, 17 says, I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving. I'll put the work in. I'll make sure that I take my own way and my own will and my own attitude, and sacrifice it so that I can give you thanksgiving and will call upon the name of the Lord. Psalm 95 2 says, Let us come before his presence with thanksgiving. Let us shout joyfully to him with psalms. Scripture continually repeats this theme that as believers, we are called into the process of healing. If you look at the story, in Luke 17, Jesus ends by saying this, were there are not any found who returned to give glory to God except this foreigner? And he said to him, arise, go your way. Your faith has made you well. It's interesting that Jesus says to this man, not now go show yourself to the priest, but instead he says, you've entered into the healing process of gratitude and it has made you well. It has accomplished the work of the gospel in your life. I'll tell you this story and then we'll be done early like I promised. So many of you over the past few months have caught me between services or sent me a text saying, hey, Pastor Caleb, we're praying for your mom. How's she doing? If you don't know, if you're new to our church family, at the beginning of this year, January, my mom was diagnosed with a grade four glioblastoma, which is the most aggressive type of brain cancer that there is. You've been so kind and many of you who have asked about how she's doing and the truth of the matter is she, she really is doing well. She's completed a full round of 30 treatments of targeted radiation as well as 30 treatments of chemo and she has her next MRI tomorrow afternoon down at Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles and that will determine next steps. Several, several of you have kindly followed up after asking, hey, how's your mom doing with, by the way, how are you doing? And you've been so kind and so compassionate to encourage my family and I, as we've walked through this. And can I tell you, I don't know if there's any way. And if you've walked this road with a family member that you can fully prepare yourself for the highs and the lows, the onslaught of emotions that come with watching someone you love so dearly, who's so young, walk through something like this. But I'll tell you this, if I've had a focus, if I've had a target as I've walked through this time, I've just tried to be grateful. I've tried to be thankful for all the blessings God has given us along the way. My mom just came in town this past weekend and unfortunately she wasn't feeling well enough to join us for services, but she was here and she spent some time with us and, and our family and our grandkids at our house. And on Wednesday, this last Wednesday, my mom and dad celebrated their 37th wedding anniversary. And my wife and I were able to take them to uh, dinner and, and go out with them. I think we have a picture of that um, and go out with them and able to take them to dinner. And as we went, I was, I was trying to think of a way to just be able to enjoy the time. I was trying to think of a way to be able to just be grateful for the extra time that I had with my mom. And so on the way there, I asked my mom to tell me the story of her and my dad's wedding. What was it like? Who was there? Uh, What do you remember most? After receiving all the treatments that she has, some of her memories were faded a little bit. And so she asked my dad, "What wasn't this true? Isn't this the way that it happened? And uh, slowly they came back and she told me uh, the restaurant that the ceremony took place at. And my wife and I enjoyed learning some new things about that day 37 years ago on Wednesday. She told me who was in attendance and who played music as she walked down the aisle. She told me how proud her dad and my granddad was as he walked her down the aisle. And for the next few moments as we reminisced, my mom didn't have cancer. She was 22 again, marrying the one who had stolen her heart. I asked her and my dad, if they had any advice for us, they've been married 37 years, what, what can we do better? What can we do more of? And they both said that while they haven't been perfect, every night before they go to bed, they try to tell each other that they love each other. Simple gratitude. What I found is that when I enter into gratitude, I enter into healing. It's a cathartic process that reframes the way I view myself and others. It reframes the way I view God. And as we sat there at that restaurant, instead of me thinking, God, why us? Why me? I got to rejoice with my mom and dad and be thankful for the journey. I got to be thankful for the 37 years that they've been married. I got to be thankful for the 35 years that I've been in their care and my mom has been a prayer warrior for me. I got to be thankful for my mom's chipper attitude, almost to a fault. (laughs) If you ask my mom, hey, how are you doing? She'll say, I'm doing good, even if she's really hurting. And that's probably why to this day, my wife says to me, wow, you're really in your Lynn mode. My mom's name is Lynn. And usually I'm in a pretty good mood because I had a mom who loved on me and taught me the value of gratitude. And so as we sat there and, just enjoyed our time, we were able to just be thankful for the journey that God has called us to. And as she goes down tomorrow to have her MRI at Cedars-Sinai, I'll be at summer camp with 450 students. And I get to just enter into gratitude and say, God, I'm so thankful for where you've called us and what you've called us to. And I'm trusting that what you're doing in my mom's life and with her health is from you. You see, as Jesus people, we practice gratitude. Gratitude. And I'm not saying it's easy. Matter of fact, I identify with the 90% of the time, it's way easier to onboard in not being thankful. But I wanna make sure that I take the opportunity to enter into the healing process. I want Jesus to look at me and to say that my faith has made me whole. See, Jesus' people practice gratitude and Jesus' people live by faith. It's a call to action the faith that God has given us spurs us onward. And then Jesus' people believe in mercy. Mercy to receive and mercy to share with those we come in contact with. Let's pray this morning.